0: Welcome to another episode of the Mobile Word podcast. My name is Pastor Nathan Pegard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the word with you. The scripture that we're going to focus on for this episode of the podcast can be found in Mark chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 12. So, I'll be reading out of the NIV, and if you want to read a version that is more comfortable for you, go ahead and you can pause the podcast and pull out the version that is most comfortable for you, and you can read Mark 12, verses 1 to 12. Or you can listen to me as I read from NIV and then pause the podcast and read on your own afterward. So the scripture, again, that we're going to be focusing on for this episode is Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Okay, so I'll go ahead and start, and then I'll pray, and then we can go ahead and discuss this section. Okay, this is Mark 12, verse 1. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and went away on a journey. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you that we have your word. Um, I just ask that uh, there be freshness, newness in this scripture. Uh, many of us have, have read this scripture. Many of us can see the parallels with the ministry and the work of your son Jesus. But we ask, Lord, that this this story that might seem common or might seem familiar be fresh as we go through it today together on this podcast and through this Bible study. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you administer wisdom and clarity to all of us listening and participating in this study, and that it can be relevant to us in our walk with your son Jesus right now. I ask that, Jesus, you be glorified and worshiped, um, and that your holiness and righteousness be magnified in this time as we go through your word. I thank you that we can go into your word and receive truth and receive true provision for our souls. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, excuse me, Um, the scripture that we're using for for this podcast, um, like many of the other scriptures that have come to us for this podcast and kind of create the the backbone of what we go through in each episode, uh, this scripture came from uh, another contact in Korea, uh, and I just looked at it before we started recording. And one thing that struck me was... um, and this often happens, you know, when I when I do a Bible study or when I'm going through the Word, uh, on my own, is that you seem to know it already. There's nothing that new. Uh, there are certain stories, certain parables that, as you go through, uh, your life, you know, every every year, you're you're reading through these stories, and in a sense, the stories never change. You know, you're going through the same stories over and over, um, and. That's that's just the nature of the gospel. That's the nature of the scripture, is that, you know, thank God it doesn't change, and it's not a shifting shadow, but it's consistent, it's it's stable. The challenge is that as you grow in your faith, and as you, you learn more about the word, and as you're progressing in your understanding of the scripture, is that you start to come across sections that you know, that you understand, and... It can it can it can feel unsettling at first because you start to feel concerned because it doesn't feel new it doesn't feel um, fresh like it did maybe the first time you you read it or heard it and that can be a little bit disconcerting that can be a troubling feeling because you obviously want the scripture to be uh, amazing you want the scripture to be life and light and uh, you know truly manifesting in in the living word. Uh, that's what you want when you read the scripture. And the the reality is that there will be many times when you're reading the scripture where it doesn't really pop. You know, there's not really that lightning strike moment. Um, in in the Bible studies that I'm a part of, uh, thankfully, the Holy Spirit has been very faithful to reveal some very amazing things in our Bible studies. And, and those moments happen. But uh, some people come away with this this uh, impression that you know every time I read the Bible or every time a real devout Christian reads the Bible, it's always fireworks. And the truth is that the reason that we we tend to see fireworks in the Bible study is that we're studying it, you know, we're we're digging through it, and that's a process. And as you grow in your faith, oftentimes you have to dig a little deeper. Uh, when, when it's totally new when when you're reading a parable like the one that we're focusing on for this episode, uh, sometimes you know when when the, when the Holy Spirit has suddenly given you eyes to see um, truth in the Word, it can be amazing. you know you can't believe what you're reading. Um, I remember the first time that I read Isaiah 53 and this was after I was starting to really understand who Jesus was and I couldn't believe it. You know, I kept kind of flipping back and forth trying to figure out, you know, how in the world was this chapter so far removed from Christ, but so interconnected with who Jesus is? It was, it was, it was amazing. It was actually kind of scary. I remember I was lying on my bed uh, while I was in Korea, and it was one of those moments where you're kind of looking around the room. It almost feels like there's someone with you, uh, just because it's so eerie uh, and amazing. And, and I remember having that, that experience a lot when I was going through the Word initially. Uh, there were just a lot of things that suddenly were popping out, and and the the temptation to to kind of fall for or the the lie to fall for rather is that as you get further on in your faith, those those experiences diminish; um, those experiences are few and far between. Uh, that is that is a lie. The scripture um, should always be revealing something that is very personal to you. And very relevant to what you're going through, in a way that it is the living word, like we read in Hebrews four, uh, Hebrews four twelve, where it's saying it's alive and it's active. You know that is a that is a truth declared in Scripture. You know by God through the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews that the Word is alive and active, and it's sharp and it pierces. You know these are all these are all uh, attributes of the Word. It's actively you know working with you and through you. So the lie that no, at a certain point, it just will stop. Uh, we have to rebuke that you know, in the name of Jesus because because of Jesus, we have a word that is constantly developing and growing with us. Praise God that 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 happens and that that's real. Um, but as you get along in your faith and as you're reading more, it'll get more challenging. So what we have to do is we have to dig deeper. We have to be we have to be content with going deeper and not content with it just not hitting us right away and and just giving up on it. So, as I was reading this parable, my first reaction, my first thought is okay, what what is in there aside from just what it's saying? Because there's that level and that side of it that we'll talk about where it is a very uh, a very direct um analogy to to the life and ministry of Jesus and we'll walk through that really quick. Um uh, so there is that element of the parable that is very clear. That's the one of the reasons why uh, the Pharisees and the leaders were so offended right away after he spoke this parable, because it was so obvious. You know, there there are some things that Jesus said that are a little bit more cryptic. You know, that you need the Holy Spirit to be opening up your eyes to to reveal yourself, to reveal what God is saying through Jesus. But some of the parables are just so brutally honest and direct that. Um, you know, you kind of wish you could have been there to see the reaction. Just because you know to to say this parable to those men uh, who who are you know technically you know in this in this parable they're the they're the farmers you know they're the they're the tenants um, that are committing these these awful crimes and and displaying this disgusting behavior and he's telling it to them you know this didn't come around through you know, hearsay, and did you hear what Jesus said about you earlier? This is directly to their face. Um, So there's that side of it, that it is just clear. However, as we're reading in the Word, we have to say, okay, that's clear. I understand that. It's directly, you know, relating and associating with Christ and His mission and what He did. However, what does that mean to me? And, you know, I, I don't believe that that is a you know, kind of person, man-centered approach to the Bible. I think everything we read in the Bible needs to be applicable and relevant to us right now. We should never be tempted to reduce what we read in Scripture to just stories, things just to know. That's not why we have the Word. We have the Word to consume. It's daily bread. It's provision. You know, you don't just look at a piece of bread and say, God, that looks delicious. Well, I'm good. I had my breakfast. You eat it. You break it apart, you consume it, you chew it, you swallow it, and then it nourishes your body. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an, an active process of taking the word in, taking it apart, letting it nourish you, and we can't do that if we just reduce it to just stories. So on one side, I'm just going to go through the story. Uh, what we have here is we have Jesus telling the parable uh, to these Pharisees, to the leaders in Israel and what we have is we have a man planted a vineyard so we have god and the vineyard often symbolizes israel he put a wall around it dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey so he rented away rented the vineyard to some farmers so the tenants or the farmers are are being symbolized to represent the the leaders the caretakers of israel the pharisees the leaders the teachers of the law the priests you know, those are God's representatives in the same way that we read in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know, we represent him to the world in the same way the priests, the Levites, the, the teachers of the law, um, the Pharisees, they were representing God to the people. You know, when people wanted to know things about the scripture, about God, they went through these channels. So that's who that those are the farmers, the tenants in the story. The servants that uh, the the farmer or the man keeps sending to collect some of the fruit are prophets. So the servants are going and and uh, announcing the voice of God or announcing the voice of the farmer, uh, saying that we're coming to claim some of the fruit. Uh, and it's not a direct analogy. You know, you don't have to say, okay, well, what were they collecting? What was the fruit? The servants are going and being sent by God to basically, what we'll get to later, is declare ownership and, um, and authority over that property, that the, the ownership of the property has not changed. There is still a, a man, a farmer, that owns that vineyard. There is still a direct connection between the owner, even though he's not there. And what do the farmers do? What do the tenants do? They beat these servants. They kill these servants. They mock them. They treat them shamefully. uh, They send them away empty-handed. And then over and over and over, this man, this farmer, sends these servants, just like we have in the prophets. We have many prophets that the Lord anointed and sent to declare truth, to declare the voice of the Lord to Israel. And what happened? They're mocked. They're beaten. They're imprisoned. They're killed. So a direct analogy right there. And then what we have is we have God saying, I'll send my son. I mean, if you didn't get the analogy until verse 6, verse 6 should pop out, sent my son. If you're reading the Gospels and there's a parable or there's a mention of a son, the son, uh, typically that's going to be a direct correlation to Christ, and that's what we have here. And the farmer or the man, the owner of the vineyard says, at least they will respect my son. Do they? They don't. The tenants, the farmers, they say, if we kill him, then we'll get the inheritance. Let's kill him. So they they it says in verse 8, so they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now what's interesting, and we have to remember this, we know the end of the story. This this hasn't happened yet. You know, this is a this is a prophecy in a parable. So Jesus is predicting what they will do. You know, and 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 if it wasn't bad enough for Jesus to tell them to their face, you have rejected and disgraced men of God, men that God has chosen and sent. You have uh, disgraced them, killed them, mocked them, abused them, and in turn completely disgraced the voice of God. Not only that, but the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is sent declaring his sonship. And what does Jesus say they will do? Because this hasn't happened yet. They will kill him claiming that they can take his inheritance and cast him out of the vineyard. You know, and we can make direct correlations to that. You know, Jesus was killed outside of the city. And I don't think that's too, too big of a stretch. You know, Jesus is very clear that this parable represents him and what he's doing. So why would that not be a connection that he was cast out of the city like a criminal? You know, sentenced, a criminal's death, doomed to a criminal's grave. But because of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you know, he had a, a burial in, 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 in a tomb, you know, for a rich man. So we have that side. And then verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Here's the warning. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So remember, this parable is directed at religious leaders, people that are, are supposed to be representing God. So, you know, we can draw it out and we can, we can, you know, make a sermon and we can make a message about, you know, uh, God has sent people to, to claim, uh, you know, the gospel for the world and that's true and God has anointed people and given them the spirit of Christ to take Jesus into the world, take light into a dark world, to be a city on a hill, announcing God's glory and the good news of Christ, but then people reject that. That's also true. So you can do that. You can make that connection that God is constantly pursuing people, sending people to save those who are lost. And what often happens is those those messengers of the gospel of Christ are often mistreated, persecuted. That's what Jesus predicts and promises to his disciples that you will, you will take my name into the world. And because of my name, they will abuse you and reject you and persecute you and kill you. So that's, that's, that's a connection, but we have to be careful not to just continually draw our own connections and our own conclusions and put them into the scripture. What this scripture is telling us is that there is a judgment directly associating and relating to religious leaders. So, yes, there is a connection that people are often rejecting the message of Jesus. That's true. And that God will look for those that are accepting and ready. You know, it doesn't just hinge on that one person. Like, he wants everyone to be saved. But he will reach out to whoever. You know, so it says that he will give the vineyard to others. However, this is a, a parable about those religious leaders. So, if we're looking for what is the text saying directly, you know, and not drawing our own kind of overarching meaning, it's to religious people. So to us, it's Christians, you Christian listening to this podcast, me Christian making this podcast. This is to us. There is a huge responsibility that's placed upon our heads and our souls as representatives of Jesus. And there is judgment if we don't do that righteously, if we don't do that honestly, with full devotion to Christ as our Lord and Savior. So this is more a warning to us who call ourselves Christians, to pastors of churches, to missionaries, to evangelists, to preachers, to teachers. This is specifically to us. So we need to take heed of that warning. We need to take heed of what is being said in this parable, which is directly to us. And again, it doesn't you know, neglect the truth of this parable in the way that the world associates and reacts to the gospel. That is, that is an, a, a real issue also, but this parable itself is speaking to religious people, Christians, people who are identifying, people are, who are representing Christ. And then at the end, verse twelve. Then they looked for a way to arrest him. So they're obviously angry because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. They're offended, but they were afraid of the crowds. They let him and uh, they left him and went away. Sorry, they're intimidated. They see the power that he has, and they see the way that he is moving the crowds. This isn't some obscure crazy man that everyone will just get excited for and then leave. You know, they're seeing the weight of what this man is saying, of what Jesus is saying. And they can't just flip a switch. But then the irony is that at the end of the gospel is what happens. They flip the switch and instead of hosanna they're screaming crucify. So that's the direct kind of teaching on what the parable is, what who who who's involved, who the figures represent. But I was praying about this this parable before we started, and I was asking the Lord, you know, what is, what's the second level? You know, not looking for symbols, not looking for codes, but just what is the next level? So we have it as a story now. We have it as, as a narrative. This is what Jesus was saying. This is who he was saying it to you. This is what he was saying. This is, uh, this is what it meant to those people then. So we have a story in a moment in history, but then now we have to have what it means to us now because it has to, it has to apply to us. And I was asking the Lord, what is, what is, what's the key or what is the, the kind of focal point, or we could say the capstone or cornerstone of this parable. What is the thing that everything rests on? And he gave me the word ownership. And you look at the parable and you ask yourself, why are these tenants so upset at these servants coming? You know, why is there conflict? You know, why not just have someone watch your vineyard and take care of it and then come and get some of the stuff that you own and then have you know be all peaceful and, and everyone's getting along? You know, why is there a conflict? It's because there's a fight over ownership and you you draw that out and you think why are people opposed to what Christ represents why are people opposed to what God represents and who God is and then there you have it you know you have that connection it's ownership you know that's what everything is about you know when the enemy was was tempting adam and eve in the garden you know what is what is his what is his lie what was his uh, his home run with Adam and Eve? It was, did God really say that? You know, getting you to doubt what God has said, what his intentions are. And then twisting the intentions and saying, God is not for you. He just wants to limit you. He wants to prohibit you from reaching your full potential and fully experiencing your potential of who you can be, which is what? And the enemy says, "Like God, you can be like God." That's the lie. It's about ownership. You own your life. You don't owe anyone anything. You have worked hard for what you have. You own it. You don't give, You don't. You don't need to give anyone anything else. You, it's yours. You took it. It's yours. There's no debate. You can be king. That's the lie from the beginning. And I was asking the Lord, you know, what is the conflict? Why, why is this parable, what is, what is the, the bomb that goes off? Where's the fuse? And it's ownership. So I'm going to talk quickly about four different ideas relating to that issue of ownership and what happens and how it relates to us and how it relates to us in this parable, what we can get from this parable. Four things, the paranoia of ownership, the aggression of ownership, the evil in ownership, and then ultimately the judgment of ownership. So first, the paranoia of ownership. When you have this man, this owner of this vineyard, and he gives this, he he hires these farmers to take, take, uh, take over the vineyard and work it while he's away, then what does the farmer do? The farmer sends servants to go take some of the fruit so that's, that, that word popped out to me when I was reading it. So it says in verse 2, it says, At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Some of the fruit. Not all of the fruit. Just some. Partaking in what is already his. You know, remember, the whole time as we're going through this, remember, the owner is alive. The owner did not die. The owner just rented the vineyard away, hired people to take care of it. The owner is still owner. That has not changed. That has not shifted. So remember that as we go through this, there's still one owner. And this owner of this vineyard is asking for some of the fruit of his own vineyard. But then what happens to the servants? What goes wrong in their mind? They've tasted what it feels like to be in that position of ownership at that vineyard they're taking care of it they're living there the owner is far away they're kind of getting that moment where they're sitting on the throne thinking this feels really good they're feeling power you know they're feeling value these farmers are are these 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 tenants are feeling this 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 kind of hunger inside of their spirit that this is what it's like This is what it's like to have no one over you. To just have property. To have these valuables in front of you. And then when the real owner comes to take some of the fruit, not all of it, what do they do? They act aggressively against those servants to the point of killing them. One of the lies of the enemy is to make you think that God is taking things from you. So he corrupts God's character. Remember, in the in the garden, did God really say that? Getting you to question God's motives and His intentions. Those aren't based on anything biblical. Go into Scripture; you will see a loving God that has pursued His children. That have stubbornly resisted Him. That's that's the story of the God. That's the story of the Gospel. That's the story of Scripture, beginning to end. You cannot oppose that. That's that's the Scripture. The lie of the enemy is that that's not Scripture. Did God really say that? He doesn't want to just take some and partake with you. Still hiring you, still paying you wages to look after the vineyard. He wants to take from you. He's after what you have. He's after what you own. See that lie? Already changing it, that you own it. He's taking what's yours. It's never yours. It was never yours. The farmers are hired to look after the belongings of someone else. But see how quickly that lie corrupts it. What you have is now yours in your mind. That's the lie. And then that, this owner, this God who owns it, that lie is being corrupt, is now trying to take from you. He puts God in the form of a thief, like the wolf breaking through to take the lambs or the sheep. That's what happens. That's what happens. The enemy, the enemy corrupts that truth of him being the owner, you being the hired hand, him being good, and he's twisted it all up, and now you are the owner of the vineyard, and you're defending yourself from the enemy. God. Unbelievable. Believe it, though. That's how quick it happens. See how, how, how quickly you can get paranoid about God. Why does he want this? Why does he want my money? Why am I asked to tithe? I'm done with tithing. I'm done with you know, God taking my money. I don't see anything from it. I don't have any return for it. Why does God want to take my time? I read my Bible at my house. I don't need to go spend an hour or two hours at a Bible study. My time is my time. Why does God want to take my, 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 my passions and use them in a way that I haven't planned? Why does he want to take my job away from me? I've worked hard for this. I've gone to school for this. I've, I've dedicated my life to this skill. Why does he want to take it away one question, was it ever yours? Second question, is he good? Because the lie corrupts both of those things. It says it is yours, it's always been yours, and he is bad and he's trying to take it. And inside you feel this paranoia. Every time God encroaches, every time God gets close, what's he going to take? What does he want? The second thing, the aggression of ownership and we touched on it before, what you have is you have these farmers, these tenants, actively killing and abusing these servants that this owner is sending repeatedly saying, just take some of the fruit, it's mine. Go get some of the fruit. But these farmers are battling these servants, humiliating them. You know, after God God comes in peace, to take some of what's already his, and the enemy corrupts that and makes you feel that paranoia of why is he taking it. He, the enemy gets you to take up your stance against God and to actively oppose him. So it's no longer entertaining the relationship. It's no longer being willing to sit down and say, what do you really want? So what we, how, we, how we can see that in our day-to-day life there's no longer a willingness to go into the scripture there's no longer a willingness to listen to the, to a sermon or to talk with christians or to listen to a worship worship song that has slowly been covered up by deception so at first maybe you're entertaining it maybe you're still going to church maybe you're still going to a bible study but you start to see that ownership that lie of ownership which is 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 that sin inside you started from the beginning of God doesn't want you to have what you really should have and what you deserve. So that lie, that sin that's in you, that's what it is. That's the lie. So as that grows, as you feed it, and you're not rebuking it, you're not fighting against the real enemy, that willingness to go to a Bible study shuts down. That willingness to attend church shuts down. That willingness to listen to a worship song or pray or, or be around Christians. They become the enemy, and you fight them. And you aggressively oppose them. So it doesn't—it doesn't just rest in paranoia of ah, I don't know why does God want this, and I'm not sure why why He's expecting this of me. If you don't defend your faith, if you don't defend truth in Scripture by going into Scripture and being around truth, that paranoia will grow into aggression, which will oppose actively and aggressively oppose the will of God. So first, it's a lie that says God is taking from you, taking what's yours, the paranoia. Second, God is your enemy, and you aggressively oppose it, and that's the aggression of ownership. The more and more you feed that lie in yourself that I own what I have because I've worked hard to have it, and I deserve it. The more you feed that, the more you're consumed by yourself, And God becomes an enemy. The third thing is the evil in ownership. Now, what I'm not saying is that to own something is evil. I own a lot of things. Everything I look at right now in my my office, I own. Is that evil? No. However, you have to constantly go to the source. So I'm looking at what I have, and this is all, everything I'm looking at is grace That God has provided. Even the things that I have bought with my money through my jobs, if I track the dots far enough back, how did I get any of that? It had to be the Lord. It had to. You didn't dictate when you were born, you didn't dictate the genes that you had, you didn't dictate so much of who you are that gave you the abilities and skills and opportunities to have the jobs that's given you the paychecks to buy the things that you're looking at and to think that you had a hand on all of that is just foolishness i mean really foolishness so much of what you are, what you are and who you are you had nothing to do with so to own something is not bad that's not evil However, ownership, if you feed ownership, your ownership over things, it can bloom into paranoia. So this is a progression. Paranoia, then to aggression, and then to evil, to the point where what we see in verse 6 is just pure evil. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. So this is appealing through love. This is not more servants and servants, and this is not the heavy hand. This is not coming with punishment yet. This is the owner saying, they've killed my servants. But they will listen to my son. I will send my son, whom I love. They have to be broken down by that. Their hate has to be broken down by that gesture of good faith and love. But then what happens? It says in verse seven, but the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So what happens? Instead of being broken down by that gesture of good faith and love on the part of the owner, sending his son that he loved, the tenants see opportunity. They're lusting for more. They're lusting for more power more ownership. So that word, again, they're hungry for it. So that lie that produces this evil in ownership is that you can have what Jesus has without Jesus. I'm going to say that again. That lie that becomes evil in your heart because you've indulged in ownership says, I can have what Jesus has, or I can have what Jesus offers without Jesus. So what does Jesus offer? Let's just go through some of the things. Peace, strength, value, love, satisfaction, strength, perseverance, hope. That's just eight. It's not even going down the fruit of the Spirit. So the lie is that you can have what Jesus offers, without Jesus at all. So you totally neglect and you totally disregard Jesus completely. And that's what happened with these, these tenants in the parable. They totally reject Jesus, not to the point of just saying, go away. They kill him. They want to take what's his. Because the reality of our situation here is that all those things, so everything we have belongs to God or belong to the farmer in the parable. Yet all the things that we have now in our in our our position with God is through Christ. I can't have anything just going to God. You know, Christ is the mediator. He is the he is the anointed one that tears the curtain. That there's no more separation between me and God because of Jesus. It has to go through Christ. So his inheritance becomes my inheritance. His righteousness becomes my righteousness. You can't go around it. There's no scooting around Jesus and then getting God. It goes through Christ. So the lie is that I will do whatever I can to try and have that without having Jesus. Totally neglecting it. And how that manifests in a religious spirit or with people in religion, like how we see this parable is teaching, that group or us, is that I can earn my own salvation I can pay my own way through good deeds, through works, into heaven without Christ, without going to the Son and submitting myself to His Sonship, His Lordship over me as a tenant. Again, a hired hand. So you have first ownership creating this paranoia God is taking from me then ownership creating aggression, that God is, is my enemy, he opposes me, I need to protect myself from him. Then it starts to to tempt you by telling you that you can have all those things through your ownership of things. If you get this thing you want, you will have all those things. If you get that job, if you get enough money, if you get that relationship, you will have all those things that Jesus offers you, but you don't need to deal with all that junk about sacrificing and submitting and you know being humble humble and all these things that are required through Jesus. But you can have all those things. Forget about Jesus. You can have all those things without all that hardship. And that's a lie. You'll never have it. Last thing is ultimately the judgment of ownership. This parable does not finish with what do you think will happen? What do you think God will do? Jesus is clear That says, those tenants, those tenants, in verse 9, says he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. What you have right now in your life is being loaned to you. We can take the parable of the talents. You've been given things to take care of. You've been given things to steward. It can all be taken away. And without Christ, everything will be taken away. And you will be cast out instead of the son. And there will be no way of coming back. This is heavy. This is, this is serious. This is not, again, we can't reduce it to a story where Jesus is only talking to the Pharisees. Because if we just make it a story, then we're clear. This is just about them. But it's not. It's not. It's to us. Christians, if you start to indulge in this ownership and you don't fight it off with truth, you will see these characteristics manifested in your life that you become paranoid about God, aggressive against God, evil in the way you view Jesus, and then ultimately you will be judged. This is not an experiment, God has a plan for those that disregard the truth of Christ. So through this parable, we can obviously get our eyes fixed on Jesus in the way that it just so directly relates to the ministry of Christ and his work and what happened to him. And we can take that moment and we can reflect upon his life and him being cast out and killed. However, this stands as a warning And this should stir us in the same way that it stirred the Pharisees who heard this. However, we shouldn't be stirred in anger. We shouldn't be stirred in wrath, a desire to destroy and kill. We should be stirred to conviction, to repent, not of our sins. We should do that too, but right now we should be repenting of even the good deeds, repenting of our righteousness. Because none of what we've done, none of what we have is ours. It's all God's. It's all the Son's. So I think our our message, our lesson for this, this podcast is be careful of ownership. And be careful of the lies that are associated with ownership. Stay in the word. Stay in truth, in the body of Christ, wherever you are. And pray that God fortifies you and anoints you and protects those truths so that you are not taken away by deception, these lies that want to convince you that what you have is yours and you don't owe anything to anyone. God has been gracious and so loving to give you what you have. Praise Him for that. Just praise Him for that. Don't go in. There's no other step. Just thank Him. Count your blessings. Look around you and say, thank you, God, for gifting me what I have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let's take this moment. Thank you. Thank you for what we have. And thank you for this time that we can get in the word together and we can seek truth. Father, I thank you for your words and your wisdom. I ask that these truths resonate and, uh, and become a solid foundation in our faith in Jesus. So we thank you, and we thank you for what we have, and we ask that you give us abundant opportunities to, to show our, our, our thankfulness and show our, our humble submission to the Lord, to the true owner of our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so that's, uh, that's where we'll leave it here for now. Um, but I want to thank you for tuning in, and remember to send me your thoughts and questions and comments or scriptures uh, to mobilewordministry at gmail.com. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts, uh, any any scriptures that you want to have discussed on the podcast. Thank you again for waiting um, while we kind of took a hiatus, uh, but thank you for rejoining us with the podcast, and uh, this one ran a little long, so thanks for your patience. But again, thank you for, for tuning in, and until next time, enjoy the Word, and God bless.